Georges Perec was said to have been one of the most original geographical writers of the 20th century. He was a novelist, essayist, and filmmaker who explored themes of memory, absence, and loss in his work. And he was a writer who was very playful with words. On the first page of his collection, Species of Spaces, we find he's taken four straight lines to create what he calls a map of the ocean, taken from Lewis Carroll's Hunting of the Snark, the so-called nonsense poem. The four lines are arranged into a square, an empty space, a map that resists orientation. What is top, what's bottom, and so on. And as a map, then, it's no real help in providing direction or meaning. Trying to use it to navigate a course in some way would leave you wandering, not so much trying to get from point A to point B, but in a large sense, to discover where you are and whether it's even possible to belong somewhere. The trailer of the new documentary film, The Man of the Monkey, opens with an expanse of ocean. Think of that map we just heard about. Soon, there's a shot of the back of a young man who is standing at the edge of the ocean. And as dark birds circle, his narrative voice tells us, There's a legend that I heard as a kid about a line in this very ocean, a line in this very ocean, that once you cross it, you enter the realm of the Aganache, that the island has magical powers and that it chooses who it wants to bring to its shores and who it wants to reject. So this line defines space differently than Perek's lines do. This line defines a mythical space, a storied space. The narrator has been brought to this world by the island, if we understand the ways of myth. And with his backpack and hiking shoes, he sets off on a trail into the tropical forest from his demeanor alert and carrying questions in his heart. We're invited to follow filmmaker David Romberg into the simultaneously real and mythical space of Ilha Grande, an island off the coast of Brazil, where he spent much of his childhood, off the grid, as he tells us, and to learn the way one particular story has become a decade-long compass for a journey in his life. To struggle with the questions, where am I? Can a person ever really belong? Dick Romberg is assistant professor of film studies at Muhlenberg College in Allentown. He has been supported by the Tribeca Film Institute's Latin American Media Arts Fund the Princess Grace Foundation grant, and he was selected to participate in the 2014 IFP Documentary Labs program. Romberg has also recently become a fellow of the Robert Flaherty Seminar, and he was awarded a Princess Grace Special Project Fund to develop his upcoming docu-fiction film, The Return. We had a chance to speak with David Romberg by phone about Man of the Monkey, in anticipation of the opportunity we have to view the movie beginning this Thursday as part of the Miami Jewish Film Festival online.
you were a little guy and you were there on an island and you had no running water and you had no electricity, but you had the starry nights and the fish and the ocean and the food in the garden and all this wonderful (laughs) stuff. But the question then becomes, if you are there and you're a young one and you're hearing all these stories, your imagination must have been every bit as powerful as the most powerful movie any of us could see because that was what you were projecting, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. and I, I think it's probably uh, not a coincidence that I became a filmmaker. Yeah, you're, you're, totally, you're totally right about that. When did you first encounter films or movies or videos or anything like uh, that? You know, my family, we didn't have, even when we moved from the island, we had no technology really, like, we had no VCRs, you know, we were only to watch, allowed to watch television like maybe half an hour a day, you know. <laughs> so really, I didn't start watching films until later. And then really, I fell in love with cinema when I was living in Italy, uh, doing my undergrad in fine arts, and I had a chance to study in Rome. And that's where I fell in love with cinema. But I think what you were, what you were saying earlier about my imagination, I think I was always telling stories in my head, but I, didn't, I, didn't, I hadn't found the medium to express it, you know, to express articulating those stories that I had imagined. So in some ways, I think film was, was a little bit late for me. I started out doing more fine arts. My father is, a, is an artist, was an artist. And so the arts, you know, were always in my family, but film actually came later, <laughs> a bit later. What were you exploring in sculpture? It says in your bio that you were a sculptor before you really committed yourself to film. What were the things that you yeah. were coming to terms with in that <laughs> right. 3D form? Yeah, so it's it's interesting in retrospect to think about these connections and how you evolve as an artist or a filmmaker. But my my early interest in sculpture really came from my interest in objects, and and that came from I think exploring you know the rainforest in Brazil and finding little bones and playing kind of an amateur explorer or scientist. And uh, and I think sculpture was a kind of way to play with form and play with objects without the kind of perhaps uh, without the kind of need to to justify it that you have in science. So it was really much more playful. And so I was very attracted to, like, um, my, my early sculptures were made out of um, bones and natural objects. I was very interested in natural history. And I, certainly I think it was informed by what, you know, what living in Brazil was like on this island. But I think for me, film was a way to engage with, you know, a larger larger audience, but also to to collaborate. I think that's one of the things I love about film is the, the collaborative aspect of it um, that allows you to get to know, interact with lots of people while you're making something. But yeah, but it's an interesting kind of progression. <laughs> and so when you mention cinema in Italy, of course, we think of, ah, oh, Fellini and all of the great ones. Yeah. Is that what drew you in? Yeah, it was, actually. Uh, it was specifically Fellini, I think, because of the way that that he approached imagination and fantasy. Uh, I was very influenced by Italian realism. I started watching, you know, films by Rossellini, Visconti, and kind of worked my way up to Fellini and even further. And so I really, you know, when I, when I was in Italy, I, wa- I would watch, I think, like five sometimes films a day. I was just really obsessed, and I uh, really immersed myself in cinema. And then from there, I started watching French New Wave films and, you know, Russian films from the earlier part of the century. And really got like, you know, before even going to film school, because I ended up going to film school later on, but even before that, I was almost like trying to understand the history of cinema kind of by myself. And 
one thing I remember very distinctly is I was when I was in Rome and I was I was there to actually study sculpture, not not cinema. <laughs> so all my classes were sculpture classes, and you'd go to the museums and and these beautiful cathedrals and and see really the what is some you know what is considered to be the pinnacle of Western art and and uh, and I didn't feel what everybody else told me I was supposed to feel. You know, being in front of these great masterpieces. And what was interesting is that to get to school and to get, you know, to get around Rome, I would take the the subways and public transportation. And I was much more interested in, in the immigrants. And in the there, there were groups of Romani uh, musicians who would play in, in near the subways. And, and that, to me, was much more interesting than going to the cathedral. So I would talk to them, and I would, you know, I ended up um, really becoming interested in the immigrant community in Rome, specifically from Africa. And I think that was kind of the early instinct of somebody who who, who makes documentaries, which is to be interested in people and, and stories. And I think coming back from Rome, and I, I knew that something had changed, you know, that I was kind of evolving and, and, and changing the way that I was going to make art or film. And when you mentioned the immigrants, of course, the themes that you have been exploring have to do with exile and people who yep. are moving around and don't have a home. Exactly. Where is home? So it's just so right that you were drawn particularly to that community or those communities in Italy. What did you understand when you were growing up about the people who were on the island and your own journey as a family to that island? Right. So, you know, my my family has had a history of displacement, both political displacement, religious displacement, uh, and, and, and other and other reasons that, you know, we moved. But, uh, you know, I think my family always felt like outsiders wherever we went. So everywhere that we moved to or that my family had moved to in terms of my even my ancestors, even 100 years ago or more, you know, it was always considered a temporary thing. Like we were here, but we were getting ready to go to the next place in case something Happened. So I think with the island, we are also outsiders there in, in many ways. And I was a little bit too young to remember this. My parents told me that when we first got there, we had no food. <laughs> we didn't know how to fish. We didn't know how to um, how to get food. You know, until we started growing food and 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 figure out a way to also to go to the cities. You know, you had to take a boat and, and get food. But a, a nice neighbor gave us a fish. You know, one day, and that was our first kind of meal. And slowly the community kind of accepted us. And now I know all everybody in the community. And I play with the children that are there now are the children of the kids that I grew up with. And, you know, we've seen three or four generations already that, that we were close to with my family. So now it's, it's more of a place we belong to, but we're still in many ways outsiders. And so it, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of being in between being in, in, in flocks or, you know, what I would say is like a more nomadic way of being, which is to um, to be in a place, but to also be constantly moving. And so, but, you know, for me now, after all these years, I think, especially after making the film, uh, to me, the island seems like the most, the closest concept of home that I can imagine, even if it's a fantasy, right? Even if it's just a, an idea, I think it's an important idea. Um, and so I, I kind of embrace that. And it's so timely now in this 21st century world 
when there is so much migration and movement for various reasons across and around the globe. So what you're exploring will speak to so many people. It's the human condition, perhaps, mm-hmm. but certainly now. Well, you actually then had been away from the island, but you made the decision to go back. Yeah. Yeah. So the decision to go back, I think, uh, again, this this is you know one of the things with making films and art is that sometimes you don't understand quite what motivates you to do something until later on. And, and so I started shooting this film over 10 years ago. And so now I have the, the kind of, I can look back and understand the process a little bit more. But really, what I think what triggered me to go back was feeling maybe for the first time that I that I didn't know where I was supposed to go because, you know, I had been living in the U.S. for over a decade and my family had actually left the U.S. at that point. Um, and so I was by my kind of by myself in the United States. You know, I have one sister who still lives here, but the rest of my family was spread out throughout the world, in Argentina, in Israel, and other parts of the world. And so, I, you know, to me, the, the first place... That, that I thought about was, was the island because that's, in, in many ways, that's where a lot of my early memories are of childhood. And so I think we do tend to go back to, the, to those moments as a way of feeling stable, as a way of feeling grounded. And so that, I think, was the trigger, was not knowing where to go. Do I go where my family goes or do, do I go where my friends are? Do I go where, you know, because we have nationality, which is a, an idea, a concept we have, perhaps ancestral connections to a to a place we have also where we work we have and all these all these are perhaps different geographical places or concepts and so we you know as we were saying earlier we're we're kind of living in in multiple places either literally or even through our memories and so all this informs our identity so for me i think it was kind of an identity crisis uh, a point where i wasn't sure where i should go and and that made me start to think about my family's past and and all these stories that I'd heard, and I think in an attempt to understand what what the meaning of home was, for me at least. And there was one particular story that almost haunted you, isn't that right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, there were many stories, but this particular story I think lingered for for some reason, and. Uh, and it was a story that my father had told me is almost as a bedtime story on the island. And the story was about, it was about a mysterious man who lived on the other side of the mountain on the island who who had a, a chimpanzee that, that people said was his wife, you know, this kind of boogeyman, and that anybody who went near him would be attacked. So the children were very afraid of him and and no one knew where he had come from, but there were rumors that he was German. And so that was the story. And, and the story had changed over the years. Obviously, as I got older, I began to understand a little bit more about what that story could mean. And the fact that people thought he was German, of course, for me as a, as a Jewish person, immediately I thought about um, World War II and, and all, of the, all of the Nazis that had escaped Europe and found various kinds of places in South America where they were hiding, right? And often being support, you know, being hidden by those governments. And so uh, in Argentina, that happened. In, in Chile, that happened. In Brazil with Mengele. And so, you know, there were all these safe havens in South America, which ironically was where also a lot of Jews fled to, including my family. So the story really kind of turned from something that was quite uh, almost like a fantastical tale that you got a boogeyman into something that became very kind of real and 
and made me kind of question if if it was true if there if there was this person then why why would we have moved there why would my father build a house on this island where this potential escaped Nazi could have been living and so yeah it made me kind of rethink and and have to confront all these different I would say it's contradictions that emerge about the meaning of refuge the meaning of home you know how can how can a paradise like an island be be a place that's also um, you know quite quite darker in terms of these histories of, of um, violence. And, and one of the things I discovered about the island was that it also housed a prison where the government of Brazil was torturing political prisoners of, of their dictatorship, which happened a little bit after the, Arge- the Argentine dictatorship that my family was affected by. So we start to see all these threads and all these connections between between these places that are both, uh, in our minds, that islands are these, these places that are paradise, paradises, but also in some ways they can be infernos and often are. So that story kind of became much, much bigger. And that's really what the film tries to to follow, is all those connections. And stylistically then, you can't tell a story like that with an A to B to C to D straight narrative. Did all your experience with the films of Fellini and the stories you were told as a little one. And didn't I hear that your dad was affected by the work of Borges? So you've had a lot of different kinds of uh, storytelling models in your life. What kinds Mm -hmm. of things seem to make sense when you're talking about paradoxes and mysteries and things like this? Yeah, so I, I really wanted to focus also on this idea of the island as a character, and it's, 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 it's interesting you mentioned Borges, and also I would say magical realism, you know, Latin American magical realism had, had such a strong influence, I think, on, on the way that I, that I thought about, about memory, about trauma. And so the film is really, I think, in some, in some ways it's told in a magical realist way, but also I would say there is this kind of visual transformation that occurs as we see the island transforming from something really idyllic and almost utopian into something quite sobering and, and real and perhaps really nu- more nuanced, right, And where we see the island as having two sides. And so the film in, in the beginning is, 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 I use a lot of color, you know, and this has to do also with the way that we color the film, that we grade the film, but also the kinds of shots that I was using. So a lot of sunshine, a lot of green, and slowly the film, as we begin to understand more about the story of the man of the monkey, and we begin to understand the darker kind of histories of the island and how my family's connected to all those histories, I start to use different kinds of less colorful, uh, more, more shadows. And so you really start to feel like the island itself is a character that is changing, that is transforming. And I would say, you know, there's also three different layers of three logics, you know, one which is which is my, my, my dreams, because in many ways, you know, I dream about the island all the time, and the film begins with a dream a kind of nightmare, perhaps. So there's there's a kind of logic that is also very internal and subjective. Then there's also the island, which, which feels like another world. And then there's a third logic, which is, you know, when I come back from the island. And so in some ways, there's almost kind of three different, not acts, but three different kinds of realities or, or logics. If we were talking after I'd seen it, I might not ask you this question. But I couldn't get over the sense of you're writing about an island and there's magic and mystery and there's <laughs> politics. And is there anything that struck you about Shakespeare and the Tempest and Prospero <laughs> and the sure. magic wand? 
Yeah, yeah. So actually, that was funny you mentioned that because this was very early in in the process of thinking about this film. But earlier in the process, I almost thought of this film as a fiction film. And so I, I did kind of look at those references and think about Tempest and think about also, I, I was really interested in Inferno's, the idea of what Inferno is and how it's been represented in art, in literature, because I really wanted to give the impression that the island, you know, islands historically, as we know, have been places of terrible violence. Uh, there are places where, where we would hide violence, where human beings were, were cast away to political prisoners. And, and, it, and it's also a place where, especially in, in Latin America and South America, the slave trade and how that circulated through various islands and various places, like like the island of the film. Yeah, Granja had one of the largest colonies, you know, for sugarcane plantations and coffee. And, and so I did look at those references, and initially I thought the film could have been also a fiction film. And perhaps one day I will write something, uh, you know, make it into a fiction film as well. But I think I needed it to be a documentary, I think also because... In order to make more films and move on from this, I had to almost, you know, I had to kind of deal with this thing that had been that had been lingering, which was this this whole history. But I'm glad you mentioned that because I actually did reference those in, in the earlier versions of the film. You mentioned the Romani performers in the subway in Rome, and I'm always a big one for asking questions about how artists use music in projects like this. Do you mm. use music? Yeah, music is, I think music is really important in any film, but I, I really love to work with music in my films. And, and so I, I have a, a good friend, Joshua Madoff, who I've been working with for over a decade in all of my films. And the way that we approached this film was actually to, all the sounds in the film that, you know, the music is actually made up of uh, sounds of nature, right? Crickets and birds and all kinds of other sounds. But then we're also creating instruments, like um, Josh would make his own instruments, custom instruments that would mimic certain sounds of the jungle, of the rainforest. And so the whole soundtrack, the whole film, is made up of a mix of the sounds that came from the rainforest, which we recorded using very sensitive microphones, and then we mimic them using instruments that could perform them. And so the mix of the two created this kind of interesting, I would say, um, a kind of juxtaposition of natural and synthetic, or natural and artificial, and we try to use that that kind of juxtaposition to to go between the logics that I had talked about earlier, to go between the, the kind of idyllic, utopic uh, um, concepts of the island to these darker and more, what we say, realistic depictions of the island, and so. The music has its own logic that is running through the whole film. The music changes, I mean, the sound physically changes through the film as much, as much as the cinematography does. And so we would love to actually create a soundtrack from it because I think it's a beautiful soundtrack. Uh, it's a mix of, you know, Jewish influences and indigenous influences in terms of music. And I would really love to create something in the future with that. One of the things you mentioned just at the start when you were talking about loving the art of film, the craft of filmmaking, the mm. fact of collaboration and working with others, you have also said, haven't you, that you are very much respectful of the people whom you interview in films, mm -hmm. and they are not just 
subjects or people you'd say, come in and give me your story next, that kind of thing, (laughs) right? Yeah. Yeah. And it has to do, I think, with the the way that I think about film is, is really more of a relationship and and it's about energy to me and it's about how you I, I, I tend not to use the word subject, but I tend to think about it as the people who you work with are participants. They participate and they, they should be willingly participating. And in some ways it's not only about capture I don't even like to use the word capture capturing kind of um, in some ways references the idea of taking something, right? And that's not what I think documentary is about or should be about. I think it's about an exchange of, of, um, of stories, of energy, of emotion, and I think it needs to go both ways. And so, you know, one example is there is a, um, a participant in the film, Sir Julia, who, who, who was a prisoner in this, in, this, in this prison that was on the island, and he had been a prisoner for 50 years on this island. And I struck a, a very strong friendship with him. I felt that his story was important to tell. He's one of the main protagonists, apart from Mad Monkey and my father of the film. And we remained friends after that film. And I would, every time that I went to the island, I would go visit him. He lived very, very high in the mountain. You know, and it's very hard to get there. And, and I ended up making a, also a short film about him, which I showed. You know, I showed him when it was finished. He was very happy with it. And um, he showed all of his friends, and we had a party. He actually, he, uh, unfortunately, passed away two years ago, but he got to, to watch the film. And those are the kinds of connections that I really value in, uh, in documentary filmmaking is, you know, you end up becoming friends, so you end up becoming close to the people that you're working with. And, and it's really, to me, again, it's a relationship. It's, it changes, it grows. And what we see in the film is only a fraction of all those experiences that in some ways, yeah, we have a film, but we also have uh, a tremendous amount of experiences and exchange, an exchange that, that that's occurring, which is which is really beautiful. And we're talking because you are on the faculty of Muhlenberg College, and they are so mm-hmm. proud of you and proud that you have this film to offer. But I'm curious about how what you've learned in this film then benefits the students you have. What kinds of things yeah. do you want them to know? Mm. Yeah, so I think one thing that I learned from making uh, The Man of the Monkey and then coming back and teaching documentary is to really kind of think about your own your own kind of personal experiences, you know, your family's, your family story, where, where you came from, the way that you see the world, how is that unique? And then creating, creating something that can also allow other people to, to share or to, to be part of that, part of that film. And in a sense, like to project their own memories, their own experiences onto your film and finding that balance, I think was really difficult. And what I tried to teach is how to make something that feels highly personal and feels very unique and specific and at the same time can can be universal in some way. Right? Can can allow people to to learn something, but also to think about their own lives, to consider their own past, to to kind of reflect on that. And um, I think that's that's something that I try to to teach. Tell us how we can see it. Yeah. So the film is going to have its Florida premiere at the Miami Jewish Film Festival which starts, you'll be able to start watching the film on April 15th, and, and it's actually offered for free. The whole festival is free this year due to COVID. 
so they have generously made all the films in the festival available for streaming. So you can either visit my website uh, for Man of the Monkey, which is manofthemonkey.com, and there's a link there, or you can go to the Miami Jewish Film Festival site and access it there as well. David Romberg, Assistant Professor of Film Studies at Muhlenberg College in Allentown, speaking with us about his new feature film, the documentary Man of the Monkey. As he told us, it will be available for free viewing nationwide beginning this Thursday, April 13th, and running through April 29th as part of the Miami Jewish Film Festival. If you'd like more information about the movie, manofthemonkey.com, manofthemonkey.com, or just visit David Romberg's own website, David Romberg, R-O-M-B-E-R-G, davidromberg.com. The Man of the Monkey, a new feature-length film, a documentary by David Romberg, who is Assistant Professor of Film Studies at Muhlenberg College in Allentown. And the film will be available for viewing for free beginning this Thursday, April 15th, running through April 29th as part of the Miami Jewish Film Festival. For more information, davidromberg.com or to see the trailer and learn more, manofthemonkey.com, manofthemonkey.com. (laughs) 